Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning. I hope you all had a, a wonderful Christmas, time with your families, maybe time to rest. I don't know about you guys, but I barely know what day it is. That time between like school getting out and school back in, I, I, I have no idea what day it is. But we're here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and we're going to dive, in the word to, uh, dive into the Word together today. Um, this past year, with our transition to Pastor Jeremy being as our senior pastor, um, we've prayed. We've sought the Lord's wisdom. We, we really tried to, to see what God had, what his purposes were for us as a team, his purposes for uh, us as this church, um, where he would have us go. And one of the things that kept coming up, and we've talked about this a lot in the past several months, is that we wanted to be a people of the text and a people of prayer. We've incorporated uh, prayer more into our lives. We've made it a, a, a practice of praying, a practice of, of doing that together, of what does Scripture say about prayer? How would we do that? What's practical ways that we can deepen our prayer life with our Heavenly Father? But this morning, one of the things I want to talk about is what it looks like to be a people of the text, a people of the Word, where we see the Word for what it is. We see its power. We see its goodness. It's, we see its effectiveness uh, in our life. Because wisdom uh, and understanding and acting on that wisdom and understanding are very important things in our life. Uh, and I started thinking about what, is, what are some examples that I could give you of that. And, and I was looking at my own life, and I probably have a lot more examples of my lack of wisdom and my lack of understanding and what that means and how that relates to it. So I'm going to tell you one of those stories and tell you not to do this. All right. So early on in our home ownership uh, with, with my wife, we had a house in Rome, Georgia, and uh, I, was, I was new to house projects. I, I wasn't incredibly handy growing up. My dad didn't sit me down and say, here are all the tools and this is what you do with them. I was kind of learning as I go. Uh, and so with that a house comes projects, comes things happen, things break and you have to fix them. So one time in particular, I had my hands full. I was walking into the kitchen, and I went to flip on the light switch with a bowl. I don't know why, but I flipped it on with a bowl, and I broke the light switch, and the light and the ceiling went out. I said, oh, that's not supposed to happen. And I said, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to fix this. I know how to fix this. You know, it's, a, you know I can, it's just a couple screws taken out, you know, putting new, new wires in, and, and I'll replace it. So I go to the hardware store and I get a new light switch for the kitchen and, and I go in and I go, I didn't know this, I go to, to the breaker box and I turn the kitchen switch off. I said, all right, we're good to go. There's no way I can really test it. Other times I would have plugged something in to make sure that it goes off, but I, the light wasn't working because I broke the switch. But I trusted that person who wrote kitchen on the breaker box. And so I go and I go to the lights and I, and I start unscrewing it and I, I take the cover off and I unscrew it a little bit more and I pull it out and I said, all right, time to pull the wires. And so I, I take my hand and I, I grab it and I felt something that didn't feel very good. It hurt. A good little shock. And I said, ow. I said other things, but I also said, ow. I said, that's, oh no. I said, well, surely... I'm going to go back to the breaker box and double check to make sure I turned off the right one. So I went back and the kitchen one was off. Uh, and I said, well, it's right next to the laundry room. I'll turn the laundry room off too. Surely this will, call, this will solve the problem. So I walked back over. I said, I've, I've figured it out. I grab it again. 
and I shocked myself yet again. It hurt just as much the first time. And I said, what in the world is going on? And I started looking at my house, and I was like, I don't, I don't know where else this, this power is coming from. The living room is on the other side of the kitchen. So what I'm going to go do is I'm going to go turn off the living room, because if the living room's off, and the kitchen's off, and the laundry room's off, almost everything around it is off. Surely that switch will be just fine to touch. I go back, I grab it, and it hurt again. And you're probably wondering, why in the world do you keep touching it? And I think back to myself, I think the same thing. Why did I keep touching it? But the story's not done yet. So we have our, our kitchen, our laundry room, our living room in the hallway. I turned the hallway off, and I said, every single thing around this light switch is off. There is no possible way that I can get shocked with this. And so I get a little bit closer, and I'm gingerly getting closer. I've, I've, not, I've learned my lesson not just to go and grab it. But lo and behold, I get an arc of electricity from that switch and shock myself yet a fourth time. And you're probably wondering, Cameron, there's many things that you could have done to not get shocked four times in a row when changing a light switch. One is just turn the entire house off. I learned that later. That was the fifth thing that I did. The second was, why did you not have a voltage tester? For those of you who are, who are not incredibly uh, electric, you know, electrician handy, a voltage tester is something that you literally just put near something, and it beeps to tell you if the wire is hot or has electricity running through it. And I will tell you, I did not have one at the time, but the very next electric, electrical uh, project I had, I was sure to have my handy-dandy voltage tester. And so I tell you that story, um, not just to embarrass myself and uh, point out my flaws in my, in my handiwork, but I tell you that story because there was a time where I had a general understanding of electricity. I knew that you weren't supposed to touch it because it hurts. I knew that certain wires had to go where, and I could look at the back of the, of the light switch where the wires come, and I could figure out where they were to go, and I could look at the breaker box and understand, well, generally, this is how this works, but there was things that were missing, and my understanding and my experience wasn't there. And so as I, as I was working through this message and preparing it, I couldn't help but think, so many times I think we treat our faith in, in our understanding of the text the same way. We pick one or two things, we say, I'm gonna live by this verse, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this on, and that's the only thing I'm gonna really know about scripture. Or I'm gonna listen to scripture just on a Sunday morning, or I get, I get my scripture just maybe from a podcast or from listening to something. But what I wanna challenge you this morning is if we are gonna be a people of prayer and a people of the text, we have to be a people who act on being a people of the text. Being a people of the text, being people who understand God's word, who dive into God's word, who appreciate its goodness and its richness and its effectiveness and its power in our life does not come merely by having a Bible at home with you. It comes by opening it up. It comes by reading it. It comes by spending time with your Heavenly Father and recognizing the impact that it has on you. Because I think so many times we can walk in through this world in the same way I walked into this light switch conundrum, if you will. We get th close to things that we may not understand, or we get too close to things that will hurt us, or we let the world and our society and our culture affect the way that we think about things, when really we have the answers here in God's Word. 
And so what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at some scripture where Jesus is actually talking about this idea of understanding his words, understanding the text, and acting on it. And so if you uh, have your Bibles with me, uh, or with you, we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me for the reading of the text. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses, starting in verse 24, going through the end of the chapter. This comes out of the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Sermon of Jesus. It says in, th- uh, in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. You guys can be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the examples of Jesus' teaching in it. Um, We pray as we dive into your word this morning that we would be changed by it, God, that we would walk away with a deeper understanding of your love, your grace, and the wisdom that comes from knowing your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, Jesus is teaching, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, um, a fairly well-known, a fairly famous, a fairly uh, cited a scripture that we see in, in the Bible. Uh, and on the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it starts back in chapter 5. Um, and one of the key messages that we see in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is that God is our Father, and He sees and cares about our hearts, not just about our external deeds or our, our, our external actions, our righteous deeds. That it goes deeper than just the surface. And so when we look at this verse, what I want to do is actually what I really wanted to do was get a bunch of sand and put it up on the stage and then some rocks and have some Lincoln logs and, and then pour water on it. But I did not think Pastor Jeremy would be a big fan of that. Uh, so I didn't do that. But we're, we're going to draw this out today. We're going to diagram this verse a little bit to help us understand what it means for us and what it means for our lives. And so before we start that, at the beginning of the verse, it says, Therefore... Now, therefore is an important word, important word. If, uh, if you've spent much time with us in student ministry, any time we talk about studying the Bible, where we're looking at scripture, I've told our students, anytime we get to a therefore, you have to pause. You have to pause, because therefore means in light of all of that has been said. Meaning, if you take all of this, I'm making a point about that. So when we get to therefore, this is towards the end of his sermon, we have to go back and understand what he is talking about. And so, what are the words that he is talking about? Like I said, one of the key takeaways is that God is our Father. He cares about our hearts. Uh, we, th- we see things like the Beatitudes. We talk about uh, believers being salt and light and our role in the, the culture around us, uh, how to give, how to pray, um, a lot of different things. But one of the things that is, is a, pretty, a pretty big theme in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the phrase, you have heard it this way, but I'm telling you this. You have heard it this way, but I'm telling you this. Talks about that for murder. 
It talks about that for adultery. It talks about uh, for divorce, telling the truth. The idea of an eye for an eye. You've heard it this way to, to you know, if somebody steals from you, it's an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you something different. You've heard it this way to, to love your neighbor. I'm saying you should love your enemy and pray for those who, who persecute you. Jesus is using his authority in, these, in this scripture to clarify the way that scripture calls us to live. A lot of times when you look at these verses of scripture, especially uh, in the uh, you have heard it this way section of, of scripture, uh, he references Old Testament scriptures that people would know. They would have heard this. If they were, if they were a good Jew, if they had studied the law, they would have had to understand, oh, he, he's, he's talking about this, but Jesus is saying there's, there's more to it. It's not just a surface level thing. It's a heart level thing. If you think about killing somebody, it's the same way as killing somebody. If you think it lustfully about another person, it's the same thing as committing adultery. And what he's doing in his scriptures, he's trying to call people back to what it really looks like to faithfully follow God. It's a heart issue. And I started thinking about this, and I started wondering what that would look like in our culture, and wondering what that would look like if we were to kind of take that into, into consideration of the things that we, that we live in, and the, the places that we interact, and, and the ideologies that we see, and in in our, in, uh, all the distractions that we have. Um, that being a faithful follower calls us to look radically different than the world around us. Another way make saying it, as kind of the, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you this, is culture might say this, but. The world around you might look like this, but. The social norm might be this, but. Everybody else might be doing it, but. Jesus is really kind of talking about two different worldviews that we live in. One where it's very relativistic, the world, right? That says, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and we can determine right and wrong by a vote, and we can determine what's uh, appropriate just by what we think and feel. Yet on the other side, we have truth. We have God's word that says, this is how I want you to live. This is the way to live that's, that's going to make your life better. This is the way that's going to make your life more like the plan that I have for you. So these words are not just rules to follow. These words are not just, hey, I don't want you to have fun. Hey, these words are here to change your life in ways that you can't possibly imagine. That you have a God who cares deeply about you, who loves you and wants what's best for you, and what's best for you is to walk in the way that he would have you walk. It's much like parenting, isn't it? Those of the young kids at home, I don't know what it is about a stove, but it can be very enticing to go and touch, right? I don't, I don't personally get that, but it seems young kids have that, that plan. But we know that that's not safe. We know that's not something that you would want your child to do, and so we protect them from that, and we say a rule is don't touch the stove. And it sounds like a rule of just taking away fun because how fun it is to touch the stove, but it's a rule of love and care because we want to protect those that God has entrusted to us. So these are the words that we're looking at. These are the things that, that he's talking about. His teaching is not just about a set of rules, but a way of living your life that not only honors God, but helps you understand his love and his grace for you. So let's dive into this scripture a little bit here. It says, everyone who hears these words and acts on them, or does them, or, or does them, um, 
or puts them into practice, depending on your translation, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So, we're going to build a rock. All right. There's our rock. Some water, both sides. And we're going to build our house. All right, there's our house. And we have another man. He builds his house on the sand. Now both of these houses, oh, got our chimney. Both of these houses look pretty good, right? Chip and Joanna Gaines, I think, would approve of their curb appeal. And for all intents and purposes, they're built the same way. The builders knew what they were doing. They knew that they needed a door. They knew that they needed a window. Uh, in the warm, or when it's cold, we can have you know, a nice warm fireplace that we, can, that we can keep ourselves warm with. The houses are, are, are built with purpose. They're built with intention. They're built to protect. They're built to provide. They're built for a purpose, and it's a good thing. Right? It says... Uh, like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the wind blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. And so we're going to get to this here in just a moment. Yeah, and we have a second one. It says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And I think a couple things to note here that are important. One... Both here. Both of these houses heard his words. Both of these houses were exposed to the same thing. Both of these houses or were able to, to understand clearly what was, what was intended to, to, to be heard. And I think about this in terms of our culture and our society. All of us are living in the same culture. All of us are living in, in generally the, the same society, and we're hearing the same things. We're hearing the same false teachings. We're hearing the same good teachings. They both hear. And I, did, I think another important thing to note is that rain will come. It didn't say rain comes just for the people who didn't hear, or rain came just for the people who did hear, but rain comes regardless. Wind comes regardless. The flood comes regardless. And so what does that look like, in our, look like in our life? Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's fear. Doubt. Anxiety. That argument you had earlier today. Maybe it's school troubles. Maybe it's bad grades. Maybe it's a rocky marriage. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's your future. You're not sure what's going on. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. It can be all of these things because these things come. I don't think there's a person in this room who hasn't experienced one of these things that we struggle with. It's what we do 
with those things that matter. Because each and every single one of these things that we don't understand, that hurt, that, that, that prick at our hearts, that, that make us wonder what God is doing, maybe it's unanswered prayer. Maybe you feel like God isn't even listening. Maybe you feel like God isn't even there. The wind will come. The rain will come. The water will rise. And it doesn't even really matter what this house looks like because what's important is your foundation. And I think this hits pretty close to home with a lot of us. I see all constantly is, is these uh, news reports of erosion in these houses. This sand is just falling away. I mean, that's a real-world example of how, how fickle the foundation of sand can be. And I think Paul, in the book of Romans, makes a really good point. In Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, um, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not, can be, do not be conformed to the age or to the patterns of this world, depending on your translation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I really think that a lot of times we can build our foundations on the patterns of this world. We look at things like social media, we look at things like the news or TV or music or the things that distract us, the things that they surround us for, and say, hey, it seems to work for everybody else. It seems to make them happy. Those people seem really happy, right? Talk about, we can talk about Instagram filters and how we put our best foot forward on social media a whole nother time, but when we look at the world around us, a lot of times it seems like the quick and easy way is the one that makes everybody happy. It's the patterns of this world. And I would venture to say that we can build our foundations on the patterns of this world, and all it is is crumbling sand. Yet, we have a rock. And I would venture to say that Scripture is calling us to build our foundation on the life of Christ. Not just the life of Christ, life in Christ. And when he's teaching his disciples here and teaching his listeners here, he's not doing it just to hear himself talk. He's doing it because what he is expecting of them is to be obedient and trust that he is good. So part of understanding where our foundation comes from is learning to trust the one who's giving it. When we can trust that God cares about us, when we can trust that God knows what he's doing when the rain comes, when we can trust God with our future, when we can trust God with our doubts and our, marriage, our marriages and, and, and our money and all of these things that we worry about and all of these things that we let into our life that just cause us stress and cause us worry, when we can build our foundation on that, it's a lot easier to be obedient to the things that he's asking us to do. So my question for you is where are you building your house? Where are you building the place that you live? Your life? Where are you putting all of these things, the rain, the wind, where are you letting that go in your life? Because while these both might have the curb appeal that you like, 
if we can't get to the root of the problem, we're going to have a real problem on our hands. And so, how can we put these words into practice? Now, I think a lot of times with a new year rolling around, we can always make goals, right? Set new goals and, and try to accomplish things. And maybe it's a weight loss goal. Maybe it's a, uh, who knows? Maybe it's a sales goal at your, at your job. But I would challenge you is to have a goal be to further build that foundation of your faith in 2020. To be a person of the text. Because the deeper you go, into the text. The deeper you go into your faith, the deeper that you go into God's word for you and the truth that he has for your life, the easier it is to withstand the things that come both from earth and from heaven. God allows these things in our life not just to make us sad, but to grow us in ways that we don't even understand. He allows things in our life often for a greater purpose than we could ever imagine. And until we have a foundation of trust and obedience and the one who allows these things it's going to be hard for us not to see the patterns of the world and say, that looks easier. That looks more fun. That looks like that's an easier road to take than what I'm doing. Because we all live in this culture, right? It's a very divisive culture. So many times we could say things, even from Scripture, and it can cause problems. There can be disagreements. There can be hateful things said about you. Even Scripture says the world will hate you because you're a follower of Christ. Even more so should we have a foundation of our life in Christ. So how do we put these words into practice? How do we become a person of the text? And I have three ways that I want to do this. So if you're a note taker, number one, it's quite simple, is to know them. Know them. Because when these things come, when you have fear, when you have unanswered prayer, you're unsure about your, your future, you're, you're struggling in your marriage, you broke up with the, the person that you thought was going to be the one, when we can rely on the scripture that we know that gives us comfort and gives us clarity and gives us understanding about the world around us, that can make a world of difference. And one of the best examples I could think of and I could see in my study was the temptation of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read it to you, verses 1 through 11 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's quite a temptation. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 there. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands that you will, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil is even twisting scripture to try to tempt Jesus. And Jesus says, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he says, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13 And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus' first instinct to temptation 
was to respond with a scripture he knew and knew to be true. He responded with the scripture that he knew in his heart and in his head and that he knew to be true. He knew that he could trust his heavenly father. He knew that what he was doing was within God's will. He knew that exactly where he was was exactly where he was supposed to be and he could rely on the truth that he knew from scripture. He literally fought the devil with scripture. And if Jesus could do that, I think we could do that too. In our own lives, when we face temptation, when we face doubt or any of these things here on this board, we can fight those things with the things that we know and know to be true so that we can trust and obey the things that God is calling us to. And David expresses it in Psalm 119, verses 7 through 11. It says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There is great reward in keeping them. So that's the first one, is to know them. And you're not going to know them unless you read it. And number two, knowing the source. And this dives us a little bit deeper. Because when we know the source, I think we're more inclined to read it. All of these things, when you look back, and I would even challenge you, and, and this next week, go and read the Sermon on the Mount. If, you were to, if, you wanted to, if you're looking for something to read every day for this next week, go and read the Sermon on the Mount, because one of the things that you'll see is that some of these things are hard to do. That I would, I would, I would venture to say is if each and every single one of us, as we were trying to do every single thing that God commands us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, we would fall short this week. But if that's all we walk away from reading the Sermon on the Mount, I think we're missing the point. And this is where it gets us. We know the source. We still need Jesus. We are going to fall short. We're still going to struggle being obedient and trusting what God has for us and trusting what God has asked us to do. But God calls us into a relationship with him. In the scripture, we can see he's asking us to come. He says, hey, come and be with me. Pray to me, ask, seek, knock, know that your Father in heaven loves you. He's talking about a relationship with him. Not a list of rules or a honey-do list that he hands you and says, all right, go knock it out and come back to me when you're done. He's saying, hey, I am with you. Let's live this life together. Let me allow, allow me into your heart. Allow me into your life so that I can guide you through the Holy Spirit on the right path that you're on. And as you know, as you, as you leave the, the, the auditorium today, you see above the back doors there of knowing Christ and making him known on the outside. If we're gonna be making him known, if our mission is to, to reach people with the gospel, if our mission is to, to point others back towards Jesus, we have to know him in the first place. We have to have a growing relationship with him if we want to be effective in making others known. Knowing the source. And number three, Recognize their power. 
the end of this verse, I, I think it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. At the end of, uh, of chapter 7 in Matthew, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were, the, they were the mouth open, like, I cannot believe what I've just heard. Now, my study, now, these were not altogether incredibly, radically, altogether different ideas than some of the things that they've heard. But they heard them in a way that was so simple and so clear and so powerful, they recognized that these words were life-changing. These words would change your life. These words would change how we respond to all of these things. These words would be the words that would change the things that we build our foundation on. These words would take us out of the patterns of this world and bring us into a life in Christ so that we can trust and obey the things that we have for him. Not out of just an obligation, but out of a love that he has for us and the way that we respond to him. And so in 2020 this year, my challenge to you is to be a people of the text. To be a people that recognize that it is a life-changing truth that we see in Scripture. It is not just some old history book that doesn't serve a purpose and isn't relevant into the culture that we live, but it's a, a living, breathing word of God that changes the way that we interact with the world around us. Because there are distractions, and the winds will come, and the rains will come, and the waters will rise, but when we have our foundation where it should be, we can rest assured, knowing that we have a God who loves us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that we can come to you um, in our times of doubt, in our times of worry, in our times of fear, um, in our times of joy and happiness, God. I pray that we would recognize how much you love us, God, that these words that we see in, in the Sermon on the Mount and in the book of Matthew here, God, that we would not be looking at them just as a rule book, God, but a living, breathing um, love letter to your people, that you would love us so much that you would send your son to die for us, God, and that the life that you've called to us is not a life um, of, of hopelessness, but a life of hope. And so in this next year, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to trust you more. God, give us the desire to, to know your word, to be in your word, to see its power, to understand the source, um, so that when temptation comes, we can fight it with the truth that we know to be true. And it's in your sons that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.